I think the digital environment provides a lot of tools to achieve this kind of education in the future, but it depends on how the system directs itself towards this point. According to the Organization for Economic and Cooperation Development, they said that the education system, generally speaking, is somehow lagged behind because the education system is not attuned to the advancements of technology and the demands of society. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. It's good to be here. It's good to be back. For those that weren't with us last week, you're going to want to go back, and this is actually part two of a series with Luis Fernando Meneses. Welcome back, Luis. Thank you. Hi. Speaking of some of those specific pitfalls or issues that students and that we may come up against, kind of moving into how to evaluate controversial issues and digital media online. You've got numerous terms that you use in the article that we came across, and we're curious if we could unpack some of them. For example, what are the types of evaluation criteria that we can use, that our students can use to evaluate those controversial issues online? Well, again, uh, this is not a new topic. In my article, what I did is just synthesize some of the different approaches that already exist from prior research. For example, there are some that list many criteria, but what I did is to group into four main criteria, Okay. So, which two of them are related to a subject or human dimension, and the other is related to the object or process dimension. When it comes to the subject or human dimension, there are two very well-known criteria which are referred to checking the motivation and the authority of who is behind the piece of content. This has to do with checking the credentials of the author. It has to do with checking the expertise, the years of education, the experience, the reputation, not only intellectually speaking, but also in terms of their ethical dimension. But it focuses on the human, actually, and on the producer. And it has to do with checking motivation or the conflicts of interest. So this is one of the two dimensions that I use to group all of these aspects that I refer to. And the other is not focused on the person or the human as on the process, and the object, actually, especially the process of knowledge construction or content construction. It has to do with methodological things. For example, it has to do with the sample that is used with checking the quality of the evidence of the piece of content, the process of the content construction. It has a more epistemological approach, actually. Mm -hmm. So this is how... I synthesized the different criteria that already exist about evaluating content. 
But I found that when it comes to online, digital media, digital content, it should be more sophisticated. I mean, the processes to check or to evaluate knowledge should be stricter because in the digital media, content can be easily forged, can be easily made up. This happened less before when we had just printed materials. Mm -hmm. So that's why this is something that I saw, that I observed. The paper that you referred to deals with these aspects, with being aware that navigating online media entails high risks of falling prey for fake news, for propaganda, proselytism, and people that are, that are interested in deceiving others can be very sophisticated in producing something with appearance of truth when it turns out to be something false. So that's why it's very important to have a more epistemological approach to evaluating content that is beyond the traditional criteria refer to the human aspects that I mentioned earlier, like the motivation, the authorship, the authority, the expertise, and this kind of stuff. Those are important things, but when it comes to digital media, digital content, I found that it's necessary to go deeper, to check deeper than those aspects. I'm imagining some pretty neat student assignments that could go along with the points that you're making, where we have students investigating and we wouldn't even have to make them up. (laughs) They would be authentic examples. You know, sometimes when you're constructing a course, you're making up rich samples that detail whatever it is that you want students to learn. But in this case, the internet is prevalent (laughs) with examples to support what you're saying. Students could just go looking. Yeah. Two terms you used that I find very interesting. One was intellectual honesty, mm-hmm. and the other one was intellectual humility. Could you talk a little more about those? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd like to refer first to intellectual humility. It has to do with being aware of the tendency of human beings to be overconfident when stating claims, when judging something when evaluating the truth of something. According to research, I would like to refer in this point to Kahneman, you know, the novel Laurete. So he mentions that human beings tend to be overconfident with many things in life. So intellectual humility has to do with recognizing the limits of our own knowledge, the cognitive flaws that are inherent in all humans. And also it has to do with recognizing the complexity of understanding or grasping the reality, the truth outside. So especially when it comes to social issues, which are controversial, to avoid this overconfidence. And this is how I explain somehow this drives to intellectual humility, to understand that I should reframe my overconfidence, to understand that I should restrain the judgment, the propensity to be judgmental. This is the explanation I can mention about intellectual um, humility. And intellectual honesty, it has to do with not to have a problem, for example, in recognizing that sometimes I don't know 
some things. Because in society, sometimes this is a matter or a reason to be ashamed, to say, oh, I don't know. More if we are like scholars or people that are involved in the academy, sometimes it's difficult to recognize that aspects are unresolved and we don't have answers. So then this intellectual trait is explained, the intellectual honesty matter. It just has to do with saying, I don't know when I really, I don't know. (laughs) And not to try to maybe create different responses in order to avoid that. So yeah, it's important this part. This is how I can explain this. And it seems like they go hand in hand to the intellectual humility and intellectual honesty. I mean, even being humble enough to say, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of hear it even slightly differently with having you on the podcast today and hearing you really give credit to all the folks that influence your thinking about this subject. You know, I want to point out so-and-so and and I want to I want to draw on so-and-so. You wouldn't have to do that. You could claim it all if you wanted to, Luis. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, you know, that seems like a good practice of that kind of intellectual honesty to me as well, too. So what do you predict for the future of higher education? Well, uh, again, like predictions somehow engage or drive people to state judgments. So I'd like to be a little bit (laughs) cautious about this, but I would refer to respond to this question to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which mentioned that education in the digital era is no longer a matter of extracting knowledge or information, but it's a matter of validating and creating knowledge. And so I think this process takes place in the digital arena. I think the digital environment provides a lot of tools to achieve this kind of education in the future, but it depends on how the system directs itself towards this point. According to the Organization for Economic and Cooperation Development, They said that the education system, generally speaking, is somehow lagged behind because the education system is not attuned to the advancements of technology and the demands of society in the sense of promoting the validation of knowledge and the creation of knowledge. So many education systems are still focusing on extracting knowledge, understanding knowledge, which are somehow important, but they are part of the lower lower order thinking skills. So it depends, we don't know if the path and the speed to which the education system and higher education can be at that level of producing and validating knowledge. But one thing that I can say with a little bit more confidence is that the digital environment, digital tools, will play an increasing role in education, like matters related to distance education, where digital tools are crucial, I think will take more place, more than physical or traditional classrooms, actually, 
So a lot of the education process, I think, will be somehow more to digital environments. This is not to say that digital environments will replace, I don't know that, even uh, some experts even recommend not to do that. But I think the digital advancements and the digital environment will take more place in the future. I'd like to make a prediction, and that is that Luisa will be part of shaping the future of higher education. I can't, I'll second that. (laughs) It reminds me of some of the digital literacy folks that we've had on the podcast talking about all the different facets that we really need to be working with with our students. Just like you said, not just extracting information from online, but really spending time in the evaluation portion of that. And so it'll be interesting to see how some of those digital literacy frameworks come into place, not only in higher ed, but hopefully for kids at a younger and younger age, you know, so that they're learning this stuff all along the way, moving into higher ed. So. Louise, it has been a pleasure to have you with us today. We appreciate your insights and experiences and all you've done in the area of critical thinking and methodology in in higher education. Thank you. My pleasure. Is there any research on the horizon or ideas for what you want to do next? Well, actually, uh, now I am writing about just this uh, precise topic that I mentioned, uh, how critical thinking can be merged into the digital ecosystem. But after that, I would like to conduct more empirical research, actually, on methods about evaluation of uh, online content that somehow already exists. I mentioned one of them, which is the civic online reasoning. And there is another one that was created based on that, that is called critical online reasoning. They are very, very intriguing approaches to evaluating content. But the empirical evidence is somehow insufficient to date. So I would like to explore more and to see how these processes can be useful to promote those important skills on the students that are surrounded me, in my context, I mean. So this is something that I haven't done before. Like I've been more devoted to literature reviews and theoretical reflections and aspects. But yeah, this is something that I want to do in the future in my research practice, yeah. Moving into the empirical. Wow, and congratulations on that. That is a big deal. You can kind of get comfortable in the synthesis area, but awesome, big step. Sure, it is. Well, I think what I hear you saying is a year from now, we will reach back out and have you on the podcast to talk about your empirical research (laughs) on these subjects. Does that sound good? That would be nice. (laughs) That's what we should do. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. For all of our listeners, please be sure to check out our links to Luis's work as well as those researchers that he mentioned will have that scholarship available on our website, digitaltolearn.com. And we'll be back next week with a new guest and a new topic. We'll see you on Digital to Learn. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, 
Give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.